You are listening to Moving On With Pain, the podcast. This podcast is presented by the Danish Society for Pain and Physiotherapy. This episode is created with and for the European Pain Federation, EFIC. If you'd like to watch the following content in video format, you can visit the EFIC Facebook page and head to videos. We hope you enjoy today's episode. And welcome back. We are still here in Valencia. This time, my name is Morten. Sorry, this is always the case. My name is still Dr. Morten Hoog. And this time I'm in the studio with Professor Thomas Woods from Belgium, uh, Leuven University in Belgium. Morning. Thomas, very welcome to the studio. Thank you. Will you tell us a little bit about yourself? So I'm a professor of cell biology at the University of Leuven. And uh, actually, I'm not a clinician. I studied uh, bioengineering, and I've always been very much interested in the interface between biological systems and electricity. And this is actually my specialty. I work on ele- electrical signals in the body and how they contribute to uh, all kinds of physiological processes, such as, for instance, pain. But I don't feel any electricity. So what has electricity to do with my body? Well, many processes in the body, for instance, the beating of the heart, but also conduction of signals in the nervous system are mediated by electrical signals. They are, you don't really feel them, but actually everything you perceive in terms of pain or uh, temperature changes or touching is actually mediated by electrical signals which travel from, for instance, your skin to your brain at very high speeds. Yeah. So, so basically, we, we call this transmission, don't we? Yes. And the thing that we're going to talk about today is heat and specifically some of the receptors related to the transduction. So the transmission, sorry, the changing from heat to electrical signaling. Indeed. But before we do that, can you can you explain to me how, how do you how do I perceive something? As, so I have a I have a coffee here and when I touch the cup, it feels warmer. How does that happen? Well, uh, sensing temperature occurs via a specific type of neurons, which we call sensory neurons. They uh, have endings in, for instance, the skin or also in your mouth. And they have then, uh, they make then a circuit that goes to the spinal cord and from there on signals are further transferred to the brain. So in those nerve endings, for instance, in your skin, we have some kind of molecular temperature sensors, molecular thermometers, and when the temperature changes, they will initiate electrical signals, which then travel along the sensory neurons and finally go to the brain where they give you a perception of warm or cold, or when they're extremely hot heat and you will get yeah, a so, very rapid So if my, if my coffee, how, how hot do you think it should be before, if I put my finger into it, how hot does it have to be until I... You know, an average person would feel pain. Yeah, so the typical threshold for uh, heat-induced pain in a healthy tissue is around 43 degrees. So if your uh, butt at home is has a temperature above 43 degrees, it will be very difficult to stay in it. But below 43 degrees, it's considered to be non, uh, non-dangerous or innocuous. And, and if I'm... So if I'm in... In an environment, so if I go outside here in Valencia, I think there's like 29 degrees outside right now. So if I went out, would that change? 
if I put my finger in 43 degrees hot coffee outside compared to inside, would that um, make a difference? That would normally not make a difference. For uh, temperatures which are dangerous, painful temperatures, our body is normally in a healthy condition, is very stable. However, for innocuous temperatures, for instance, cool temperatures, our body can rapidly adapt. Imagine if you enter in a swimming pool in the beginning, it feels extremely chilly, but once you're in it, your body has adapted and you can stay there and swim for hours. Yeah. However, if you would go into a bath which is too hot, the pain will go on and you will not be able to adapt to that. Yeah. So the body is able to adapt to non-painful temperatures, but actually has an ongoing uh, pain stimulation to painful yeah. stimuli, too hot or too cold. That's a very nice introduction, but your field is, is really, really tiny, isn't it? So in terms of anatomy size, it's, it's really a tiny area of this whole system yeah. that, that Ac- you look at. Yeah, actually we look at the at the start of the process. The start of the process is in the nerve endings in the skin where a change in temperature has to be uh, transformed into a signal that the brain understands. And this signal is electric. And, and this is, I think this is still a mystery to many people. It, it's almost like magic. So outside in the world, there's temperature. And then I have that, somehow I transform that into electrical signals that, yes. that then I can understand or use in my nervous system so how, how does that happen yes so the proteins that we study are uh, sitting in the nerve endings and they are called ion channels and what they do is they they are like small valves they open and close so the ones we study they will open once there is uh, an increase in temperature and when they do that they will let uh, ions flow through uh, through the pore and this causes an electrical signal. So it's so, some kind of electrical valve which is temperature sensitive. So it's, it's almost as if if you have a house, then yes. the walls are non-penetratable, so you can't get through the walls, but you have windows and you have doors. Yes. And the, the ion sounds would be like a door you can open and something can come in. Is that true? Com- something can come in and this something that comes in is a charged thing that causes an electrical current. And we call those neurons, oh sorry, ions, right? Yes, we call those ions and what they initiate is what is called an action potential. So that's an electrical signal that can very rapidly travel from the skin to the spinal cord and from there to the brain. So if you touch a hot stove, you will see that the signal arises and the reaction you have is in a fraction of a second. So So electrical signals are extremely fast. Yeah, and I know this is very simplified, but is it so when the heat hits my skin, it, it does something to my skin so that these ions that are normally outside of my nerve cells... They go in. They go in because the heat opens up this doorway. Right. Is, is that what it is? That's correct. And I think the most famous um, of these receptors, or ion channels, is called the TRPV1 receptor. Yes. So it's a receptor complex on the ion channel. Yes. The TRPV1 receptor is also known as the capsaicin receptor. And that's a receptor that not only opens in response to increasing temperature, but also in response to a chemical compound known as capsaicin, which is the thing in chili peppers that makes chili peppers hot. Yeah. So there what happens if you have capsaicin, for instance, in your mouth or, or in your eye, um, actually the chemical compounds simulates a heat environment. It opens the same doors that are normally opened by heat. So the body thinks it's extremely hot and you feel 
the pain. Yeah, that, Although the temperature in your mouth doesn't change when you take the capsaicin. So that basically means that if I had a chili now and I ate it and my coffee that was lukewarm before yeah. is, is almost cold now, yeah. it's still warm, but it's not very hot. Yeah. So if I had a chili, yes. then these ion channels... They, they would already be, be open. They would be open. So when I drink the coffee, my, my body perceives it as if the, the coffee was very warm. They, your mouth would be on fire. So yeah. the coffee that you have there would not really make a big change. It would stay extremely hot. You But it's feel... not really the coffee that gets warmer, is it? It's, no. It's, it's the, the way my nervous system reacts. Your nervous system is actually fooled by the capsaicin. There's another example that we all know, which is menthol, which you have in mints. It has the opposite effect. It opens the doors, which are normally opened by cold. So if you take a mint, it feels extremely cold, but the te temperature actually doesn't change. Yeah. So, and yeah. this also applies to, you know, you can get these creams you can put on your skin and, right. and they would have the same with effect, With right? or with capsaicin, yeah. and they would create a hot feeling, although actually the temperature doesn't really change. And so when people eat chilies, they also sometimes, when they go to the toilet later... Yes. They also have a burning sensation in the other end as well. Right. Is that because there's also trip receptors there? The receptors are all over the body and they're also uh, at the other end, indeed. They're also in the skin or also in your eyes. If you have chili in your eyes, you will also know that, uh, that the receptor is there. It's extremely painful. And then, of painful. course, yes. we had a pain conference. Yes. And nobody really... There will be people suffering from sensations of extreme heat or burning sensations. Mm. But I think what's very common is that the same channels, they get opened or they, they stay open in, in normal patients right. as well. Right. Uh, for instance, if you have a, a tissue injury, mm -hmm. they can stay open. And, and what happens? So if I drink lukewarm coffee and it feels warm, what is then the consequence if, if these sensory neurons in my body, they are more sensitive than they usually are? What, what, what can... What yeah. can heat do to, to these neurons? Yeah, so uh, these neurons or the sensors in the neurons, like the sensor for capsaicin, they have, a, let's say, a normal sensitivity, which would be to detect only temperatures which are dangerous. Yeah. But under certain conditions, for instance, inflammation or nerve injury, their sensitivity can be shifted so that they already signal painful pain signals, although the temperature is just lukewarm and not creating any tissue damage. And, and, and when this process is there for a longer period, this can contribute to chronic pain. Yeah. You may, many people may know the feeling you have when you have an inflammation in your mouth or in your hand, that then temperature or warm baths might feel too hot yeah. in this particular area. That's because the sensor in that area will be over, oversensitive. You can compare it to a heat uh, detector in your house Normally, it only detects fire, but if there is some kind of electrical problem with the system, it might already start signaling when you're just cooking it, and this would create an alarm that goes off without any real cause. And that's and what you also have in chronic pain. And if this happens in, some, say, someone with back pain, yes. and, and their channels are already open, could it come to the state where the, 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 the normal temperature inside their body could be sufficient to activate these neurons, just like the lukewarm coffee could activate when I drink it after eating chilies. Indeed. And that's also why very often when you have this condition that you have a burning feeling, although it's not hot, that for instance, cooling might help because that might help closing those doors and, and cause at least temporarily some kind of relief. Yeah. Yes. So, so just before we go into the research you've done, 
some people might have pain and we can't necessarily see anything. And sometimes we call it central sensitization, but actually the periphery, so that the nerves out in the body mm-hmm. can also be sensitized without, without we, can, we be able to see it. Right. And the, the, the pure temperature of our body, the normal temperature of my body could actually activate these right. and send signals to my brain that I then could perceive as painful. Indeed. Yes. So I think this really encapsulates why the research you're doing is so important. And while this is patient-wise, then the research you're doing is, again, it's down on, on a molecular level. Yes. And would you, would you tell us what you found? Because you didn't study the TRPV1 receptor, did you? Well, we started from research that had been done already in the last decades, where the, the molecular sensor for capsaicin trip v one was identified, and also researchers created uh, research animals, mice, which actually don't have the receptor anymore. So this would be mice which are completely insensitive to capsaicin. They can eat hot chili peppers without feeling anything. For the rest, they're healthy. And so they were an interesting starting point to, to study how heat sensing works. Because surprisingly, although they don't have the receptor for capsaicin, they were still able to sense noxious heat. So we, we know a lot about that. T- so TRP, what does that stand for? Transient receptor potential. And that's a family, we call that's it. That's a family of, yeah. of similar proteins. And the first one we found was then TRP... V1. V1. That was so one of the first yeah. one involved in temperature sensing. Yeah. Yes. And, and that's really, really studied. And we know that you can activate this one with heat, chilies, peppers, uh, pretty much anything, really. But then... They did some studies and they found even if the animals don't have this receptor, they can still sense heat. Indeed. And this is where your research really... So then we thought, okay, since burning pain is an important uh, aspect of many types of chronic pain, and it's not only TRIP-V1, because the TRIP-V1 animals that lack that channel still feel noxious heat, there must be additional sensors and they might also be important drug targets. So we wanted to know what are the additional sensors for noxious heat. So we had some, since we actually also do a lot of uh, research which doesn't involve any any uh, research animals, just cellular experiments, we had an idea of other channels that could also be temperature sensitive. And what we did then is we uh, eliminated additional channels next to the trip v1 receptor yeah so i i, I hear what you're saying yes. but i just i don't i don't have a picture of how would you do this so you have a you have an animal yes. uh, is it a mouse it's a mouse and and you you want that mouse to show you something yes and the way you do it is by taking something away and yes. see if that changes anything is that correct indeed so what, what do you do to them well uh with molecular genetic techniques, uh, since a few decades, it's possible to eliminate a specific part of the genome in a mouse. So this starts in the embryonic stage. and the early stage, uh, with uh, new molecular techniques, you can cut out a small piece of DNA exactly there where the trip channel is uh, encoded. And when you do that, you can create an animal which lacks a specific gene. So it's For instance, the, the, the gene for the capsaicin receptor. Yeah. And... If you have one such animal, and you can do this for multiple receptors, and then if you cross them, you can also make animals that lack two or three of these genes. So that means they have, they are a normal mouse, except for that they specifically lack one or two or a few proteins. And this, by comparing this with, with normal mouse, we can then see 
what the function is of such a specific receptor. So if the DNA was like a cookbook, what you did is you you know exactly which recipes you didn't want to have in you that mouse. You tear out a few pages. And you take out a few pages, yes. close the book, and then, then you have one mouse. Yes. And then you clone that mouse. You breed it and yeah. then you have a whole so you offspring. Have, how, how many would you have? Is it four, five, twenty? Well, many? once you have a male and a female that lack those channels you're interested in and you cross them, all the offspring will lack. Because then, then they won't, well, they could mutate it, but that would be really no. weird if they did. So no. so they would all not have They would all the, not the have that. Trip. And the channels we talk about that you, you were looking for were called Trip V1, Trip M3, and Trip A1. So yeah. they're all similar type of ion channels. Yeah. And what we found, and if we eliminate one or two of those three channels, the animals would still respond to heat. They would still withdraw their paw from a hot plate or withdraw their tail from hot water. However, if we eliminate all three of them, they would no longer feel the noxiousity. They would be able to to stand on a hot plate and not have any reaction. So we had would have to take them off, otherwise they would burn themselves. So so basically, if, if this was thought-wise a human experiment and I've gone through the same process, I could put my hand on a hot plate and the only thing that would make me take away is if I saw it yeah, or, or smelled it or heard it. Right. Because I, I wouldn't be able to feel it. Indeed, yes. So that's a strong idea that these three channels yeah. are really... They're instrumental, you could say, to the, our sensation of heat. Right. Because if we tested those animals for other painful stimuli, like uh, mechanical stimuli, pinching or uh, extreme cold, they would respond like normal animals. Yeah. So it's not that they don't feel any pain anymore. They specifically lack the sensitivity of noxious heat. So the, the idea, you, you mentioned something about drop targets. So the idea here would be that if you can come up with the specifics of how this happened. So without mm-hmm. taking out the genomes in humans, but yeah. say it's these three channels that we want to um, yes. make something happen to, and you can find out the right key, then basically medicine is finding that key and you swallow it maybe as, yes. a, as a pill. Yes. And it goes out in your bloodstream and then it attaches to these... Yes. So, so what we what we also uh, found is that uh, not a capsaicin receptor, but another of the three, TRIPM3, that its activity is upregulated in uh, nerves that uh, innervate injured tissue. For instance, if you create an inflammation, then the activity of that channel goes up, which makes the neurons uh, much more uh, excitable they would be uh, already sensitive to milder temperatures or mild touching. So uh, they become hyperalgesic, as we call it. Yeah. So, uh, so hyperalgesic meaning more responsive to something more that pain, is normally painful. Yeah, more pain to a mildly painful stimulus or even responding with a pain response to, uh, to a stimulus that normally doesn't cause pain, that we call allodynia. Yeah. So those two things we see that they are associated with the increased expression of uh, TRIP-M3. So what we are trying now is to develop specific drugs that can inhibit only that channel. And th- with that, we would like to bring back the sensitivity of the neurons to a normal state. And that would be potentially an interesting uh, way of treating yeah. several forms of pain. In and I mean, whilst we both acknowledge that this is a complex system and there's not one easy answer to everything, but maybe if, if that drop could come out and it's safe for humans to, to take, we would be able to help someone 
for instance, the case we had before where someone has back pain, maybe after some sort of injury in the back, and the neuron was just firing all the time, taking this might calm down the neuron a bit. That's that would the be the idea. Yes. Yeah. Do you, what, what could be the side effects? Because usually if you give a, a medicine and it has an effect on a receptor, then it also has a side effect, doesn't it? Or it could have. It could have. Um, however, there are a few indications that trigger, targeting this specific target could be safer than, than other drugs that are, let's say, in development or on the market. One thing is that it's only peripheral, so the drugs we are developing do not have to reach the brain. No, because there's a there's a barrier between. There's the brain a barrier, and, the and, and the, the the where the channel is active is in the periphery. Yeah. So by excluding it from reaching the brain, we think we can reduce uh, potential of, of side effects in the brain, like uh, maybe addiction or, or other effects on movement. Yeah. So that's one thing, and. Um, also, because we found that there are three different sensors for noxious heat, we think that by eliminating only one, uh, that the, the normal sense of heat will still be there, which is very important. Yeah. In previous drug development uh, uh, for trip v one antagonist, it was found that if you block that channel, which is the first in line in detecting heat, that uh, people taking pills to block it, would, for instance, burn themselves on a coffee because they wouldn't realize that it's a bit too hot, yeah. uh, which is, of course, dangerous. So uh, by leaving that channel intact and targeting another one which is in involved in the process, we think that that could be safer. Yeah. And, and this is how all the research goes, isn't it? It's step by step and just really trying to know what you have done and where you're going the next step to, to try and document every step along the way. Indeed. And how long would it be before there, there is a drug? If, if this comes out as a drug, how long would it be before that's something one could buy if there was such a drug? Well, that's, that's, that's of course, a uh, dollar I'm, I'm question. I'm about the time uh, perspective. Um, well, the research we are doing on that is already ongoing for, for almost a decade. Yeah. Um, we're now hoping that in maybe another decade, uh, if everything goes well, there could be something on the market. Yeah, yes. because it's so difficult, isn't it? It's yes. coming up with the idea, it's doing all the basic research, yeah. and then it's, it has to translate into humans. The step from a mouse to a human is a, a, a very big one to yeah. take in the pain field because they're obviously different organisms, and also a mouse cannot tell you how it feels. You can only, based on the reactions, estimate how how much pain it has, whereas a human can tell you and you cannot really always see it. So no. uh, this is why we always have to be careful if you want to say something we found in mouse will work well in a human. So yeah. this is something we, we, of course, hope for, but this is not something we can promise. Yeah. yeah. Thomas, this has been a great talk. Thank you so much. Is there anything you want to say before we start? Uh, no, I really enjoyed it. Uh, talking to you and uh, enjoyed the meet meeting here and Valencia is a great place uh, to think about pain. And I just want to final off uh, congratulations with your plenary. Uh, I've heard many good things about it and it's uh, really an honor for someone like you to be at a plenary. So congratulations on that. Thank you.